Hello and welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about the Women's World Cup, Canada defeating Cameroon, Portugal's Nations League win, Toronto FC's Friday night against VAR and Sporting KC. We'll break down Canada's chances in the Gold Cup and chat all things US soccer with Fox analysts for the Gold Cup and former teammate of Stephen Caldwell, Warren Barton, who will join us on the phone later. It is our Gold Cup preview show, but before we get to that, the Women's World Cup is now underway. And it's been a while since we've talked about anything, guys. It's good to have everyone back here. There's got the <laughs> yeah. Women's World Cup going on. The Nations League happened. Gold Cup starting. Um, Champions League club football seems like a long time ago, particularly for Tottenham fans. Right, Sean? <laughs> yeah, it took, it took a while for yeah. me to get over it. But here we are. Anyone, shocked, day. anyone shocked that Harry Kane played? I, I was shocked. I don't know about Very you shocked. That was a surprise. He just looked as sluggish as he did in, uh, in Madrid, yeah. didn't he? Harry just needs to go and uh, take, his, take his baby and his missus and just, I don't know. <laughs> the man needs trophies. That's go to Ibiza or something. I don't know where Harry Kane might want to go, but he likes America. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, New England, New York, hang out with Tom. Exactly. Miami. You know, future MLS star Harry Kane. I'm sure we'll talk about that on the podcast in about 10 years. Anyway, um, England, Scotland played in the Women's World yeah. Cup too. We were robbed, weren't we? I don't know, were you? Penalty kick, dodgy go, decision, dodgy decision, Robbed. dodgy. Came off the hand, but it was very unfortunate. And then declaring interest, we mate. got a late goal. <laughs> we got a late goal. We had a good push, but it really. I was yeah. looking to see that pressure at the end. It never really came, but yeah. I think Scotland did well. Hopefully, they did well. In Japan, Argentina was a draw, wasn't it? It no, was no nil. Yeah, so you got so a shot, on you? Uh, yeah, it's looking good. It's, there's some. Some interesting things. I know I know Scotland had a difficult Euros two years ago, but they had a number of injuries to key players at that time and they're back now. So they look they look good and it's it's such an achievement to be there anyway for the game in Scotland. Brilliant. And and a brilliant start for the game in the UK. Six point one million people watched it Amazing. on BBC, which is uh, yep. a, an absolute magnificent number uh for the Women's World Cup. And we don't have our number right now because it just literally finished Canada versus Cameroon, but I'm sure we'll be getting a TV number on TSN very yep. soon about that as well. Finished Canada one, Cameroon nil in Montpellier. We just sat and watched the game together as we taping this now. It just literally finished. Our thoughts overall on the game, I would say that Canada obviously dominated possession, had a lot of the game, a lot of the ball. Maybe disappointed that they didn't put away more more chances. It was like two or three more I think they would have liked to put away. But as we've said before in World Cups, men's and women's, or in men's and women's tournaments, we could say the same about Germany, who we watched earlier this tournament in the Women's World Cup. It's just about getting a win. Get yeah. a win and move on from the game. It wasn't necessarily an easy environment. Cameroon were quite quite physical. Yeah. And actually had a few chances and probably had the best moment of the match when Canada scored, but uh, overall job done. Yeah, job done. I, I think it was always going to be such a difficult match for Canada with Cameroon sitting deep and, and you know, playing the defensive game. It's it's not really Canada's strength to break a team down. So chances were going to be at a premium and, and that's how it went, wasn't it? Casey they had the ball and uh, never really created too much, scored a, a, a great goal from Kadisha Buchanan, brilliant header from a lovely ball into a box from Janine Becky. It was a, a perfect cross. She met it well. I, I thought it was an outstanding header. I said to you when we were watching it, it was it was easy to sort of try and power that one, put it over the bar, but I love how she just kind of guided it into the ground. You scored a few of them yourself. Yeah, really <laughs> I scored is. a couple, but yeah. she sort of got past it a little bit. And like I said, it'd be easy to you try and use the neck muscles to get more power into it and you would have put it over the crossbar just kind of nodded it into the ground, used the turf to, for it to skip up into the roof of the net. Brilliant finish from one of Canada's most important players. And then it was just a bit scrappy. I, I don't think they were under ever under any real pressure or there was ever a moment that you genuinely thought Cameroon were going to score. But you would have liked it to be in a bit more convincing, mm -hmm. wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have definitely liked it to be more convincing. And I think they would have. I think yeah. that coming in, they've got very high expectations of themselves, as they should. And they uh, they would have liked to have won by more. But in the end, I think it, it means less in these kind of games when... Uh, and what, what I mean by that is that the 24-team the format rarely if you're a good team you need to worry about goal difference yeah do you know what i'm saying yeah like if it was a 32 team world cup and it was top two getting through you'd be like oh yeah when he beat the weakest team by one and there's a chance that maybe i mean i'd say the weakest team there's i've seen i've spoke to some experts and and people who know this a lot more than i calm moscato for example who's over at tsm with yeah. luke um she thinks cameroon are better than new zealand she okay. picked them to go through the group finishing third so my i i, I didn't but just i'm just saying so 
my point being that in a, in a in a tournament where you can get through finishing third, it doesn't affect the gold events. I'm not saying Canada would accept finishing third, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. Winning one nil, not as much of, of a course. hindrance. You just got to win the game. Win the game. You know, you don't really want to peak in the first game, do you? You want it to get yeah. better and better every single game. So, you know, most teams, even the teams that win the World Cup, they start slowly. It's it's a gradual build up of of momentum, and I think that was the case today. Uh, positives for me: Sophie Schmidt was, she was, was excellent, really smart, used the ball well, was 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 always there, always giving great angles and and, and connecting the the different uh, facets of the team. I thought that uh, Ashley Lawrence was really good in the right back role. I'm looking forward to seeing them playing a more progressive side and, and seeing the partnership between Prince and, and Lawrence, I think that might be really good on the right-hand side. I want to see her get forward more and actually maybe at times get beyond Prince, have Prince come inside a little bit and, and get beyond Prince and try and create some service for, for Christine Sinclair. Um, and I think everybody was competent. Becky was competent. Sinclair had some chances. She could have got another goal closer to the record. Yep. Uh, I, I think she might look back in the highlights tonight and think, I probably should have got a goal, but she was present in the game. She was part of a, a lot of good actions. And yeah, they'll be better for it. They're, they're in the tournament now. It's always nice when you go there and you're anxious. You're waiting on the game. You're waiting and waiting and waiting. The game comes, you play, it goes pretty well. You get the three points, which is most important, and you're better for it. You're in the tournament. You're looking forward to the next one. Yeah, you mentioned Sophie Schmidt. I thought it was a really balanced performance by Canada, and she gave, she really gave that balance. Yeah. You know, 60 of 74 completed passes for her uh, second on the team to Shalina Zadorsky, who was 67 of 77. Obviously, the, the left centre back, left left footed centre back, but Schmidt has that that presence about her that really just calms games down, and she just holds the ball up a little bit more longer sometimes, and just allows it to just slow slow down, and that's important. You yeah, know, very important. Particularly in a first game of a tournament. You know, I thought that was a really good combination and, and, and particularly her work uh, by spreading the ball out to the fullbacks. You know, the fullbacks are important in this in this team because Becky's an outstanding player. Yeah. You've got to get her involved more. And as you said, I mean, that, that, that domination down the right-hand side, Chapman to Becky, could be a real pivotal combination for Canada in this tournament. Yeah, it could be. The combinations are going to be vital. I just think that, you know, Becky likes to come inside uh, your Prince is more of a winger, more more direct. But there was a moment you you mentioned it was Schmidt, her, her calming influence. But there was a moment in the second half where she, um, she just slowed the play. That was getting a little bit frantic, becoming a style of game that Cameron would have been uh, more pleased with. And and Schmidt just put her foot in the ball, waited an extra two or three seconds, played it out to, to Ashley Lawrence, and in the game just kind of resume normal service and it, it always seems like such an arbitrary thing when you're watching but it's really important it just it just changes the the personality of the game and it takes someone really really smart and really composed to do that and she was a player for Canada today that provided the moments before we move on I do want to talk to you about Kadisha Buchanan we, uh, when I covered the World Cup four years ago she was named the best young player in the whole tournament and, yeah. she, and she deserved it it was a slam dunk yeah. vote no, no doubt about it since moved on to Leon. didn't start the Champions League final obviously there's better players than her at that level but she's got obviously getting an invaluable um, experience every yeah. day working with those players scored a big goal as you said one of the most valuable players on this team and she will be needed in bigger and better competitive games in this in this tournament um i thought she brought real aggression to the game today yeah. which was probably needed because they needed to match cameron in that they didn't match it in the end they got close to it cameron yeah. went a little bit over the line of aggression sometimes they the red and card, they should have had a red card yep. a clear red card yep. um but i don't know maybe Clem, i think it was clement Tupin was uh, the var referee maybe <laughs> i went for a coffee or something we'll get into var again in a minute sorry for that any of those who don't like var chat but it's going to come up a lot i'm sorry um but in the end she was i'm talking about buchanan again the, the presence that was left on the field was was very vital today i do wonder and love your opinion on this about how you think she needs to manage that aggression against better opponents because she steps in very quickly rapidly sometimes yeah. And um, maybe that was just what she wanted to do today, but I think she's going to have to curb that enthusiasm, so to speak. Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because she sets the tone and, and she is super aggressive and, and and the team sort of respond to that. There's not a lot of aggressive players in that team. So exactly. she, they need that from her. But we were a bit like oh, a few times looking at it thinking maybe she needs to be careful. Even here. in the box, you know, yes. like dangerous penalty. In the box, yeah. diving in, being, being uh, you know, 
very, very aggressive. And, and I think she better keep an eye on that. It's, I'm thinking playing against better players, even in the group stage, when she comes up against Vivian Medema, you know, who, yeah, who's point. a very good player for the Netherlands. She's smart. She'll draw her into little pockets and then maybe spin and stuff. But she's physically good as well, Kadisha. So she can step into the gap knowing that if there is going to be a moment where she needs to get back in, she has the physicality to do so. But I always, I always, um, I'm a little concerned when I see a, a central defender so aggressive. I just think you're that, you're, you're walking a tightrope, you're that one tackle away from a red card and, and disgrace and putting your side up against mm -hmm. it, especially if it comes in the knockout stage. So I think she just needs to be a little bit careful with that while understanding that she is the kind of personality of that defensive unit for sure in terms of how she steps into things and sets a tone. So game one in the books in France for Canada. They beat Cameroon by one goal to nil. Kadisha Buchanan's header from a corner in the 45th minute. They will move on to Grenoble on th on Tuesday. They go there, but their next game is on Saturday the 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern, um, 9 o'clock local against New Zealand for game two. And we'll be talking about that obviously next week on Monday's pod. And then they finish the group stages on the 20th of June against Medima and the Netherlands in Reims. And I believe that's a Thursday and we'll... We'll have a podcast that day as well to recap that. Um, elsewhere in Major League Soccer, Toronto FC 2, Sporting Kansas City 2 at BMO Field on Friday night. Toronto FC can see two penalties to Sporting Kansas City, but in the end, a 94th minute equalizing goal by Jordan Hamilton settled the score and settled the uh, overall nerves in BMO Field a little bit on the bench as well. I was down there <laughs> by a very combustible bench of Toronto FC who I thought were angry and, and passionate about Vancouver the week earlier. Let's just say that if they didn't get a point out of this one, I'm not sure how Greg Vanny would have handled the press conference <laughs> afterwards in the end. Um, his usual calculated self, but don't think many of them, and I'm talking about even the Sporting Kansas City players, in the end were overly impressed by the referee. Yeah. Uh, it was a challenging night for uh, Mr. Bosakis. Yeah, a very challenging night. He, he stopped the flow of the game. He became really pernickety, in my opinion, with decisions that he made. He was he was fouling pretty much every type of challenge. And I believe you used one of my favourite words in commentary, pedantic. Pedantic's my favourite yeah, word. I went for yeah. pernickety the day, but yeah, pedantic's the one. That Summed was it just, up, didn't it? It was. It was like, he was stopping the flow of the game. Actually quite a good game, wasn't it? It was. Two, two teams that the pace were trying was, to the attack. Pace was, pace was great. Yeah. Pace, oh, much better much than, better. than uh, BC Place and much better the week before. Many games. Yeah, you're was. right. Yeah. Uh, two sides understanding the importance of a win. Casey have had their injuries this season, but Remarkable. They've only won one in eleven now. One win in, in eleven games for KC, which is incredible. After yeah. one clean sheet in fifteen, is that right? Yeah. After I called a game that they did against uh, Montreal Impact at home, they won seven one. They looked amazing. Right. MLS Cup contenders. Yes. They basically won one game since then. So they're a team that have injuries, but they came out. They wanted the three points. TFC, of course, need the three points as well. A good match. It's hard to talk about this match without, without the two VR incidents. We have to get into it. We yeah. have to. You're right. So I let's mean, get into it. The first one, what do we think? Well, the first one is, um, I spoke to Drew more about this after the game and anyone who wants to go watch that, I encourage you to do that. I know watching videos online with commercials in front of them are not always easy to do, but go watch <laughs> it because I think Drew Moore gives a masterclass on how to handle a post yeah, was great after the match. And he... Drew Moore said he felt at the time that the referee didn't have his best day. He also went on to say, as Drew Moore would, I didn't think I had my best day, so I'm not going <laughs> to be criticising someone. But his best part of the interview was that, and why I bring this up now, was that, um, and I believe, help me, it was Gerso, yes? Yeah. It was Gerso. So yeah. he's, he's, he puts his hand on Gerso, and he says at that time he has no responsibility to stay on his feet. Yeah. And he's right. He's interesting, isn't it? He's right, isn't he? Yeah. Because he doesn't have a responsibility, and that's not taken into consideration, in my opinion, by the referee. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a soft foul. Yeah. And then VAR, and this is why we need to talk about this, then VAR, having seen it that the foul has been given, then believe it is a penalty, which mm -hmm. they are allowed to do. Yeah. However... Would they have given, would they have got involved with this? This is a fascinating thing for me. So let's say that he doesn't give a foul. Yeah. Are they getting involved? No. Right. Because yeah. it's not clear and obvious. No, it's not clear and obvious error because there's contact there, but right. there's not enough contact. But it's a clear and obvious error once he's given the foul. This is my point. Do you know where I'm going? <laughs> I know where you're so going. So he's given the foul. 
Yes. As a free kick. And it is and a free kick, a in free, my opinion. You think it's outside a foul? Outside the box. You think it's a foul? Yes. Okay. So you think it's outside the box. So they give a foul. They give VAR, give a penalty because they think it's in the box. Yeah. So you have no problem with the foul. No problem no. with the foul. Because he touches him and he leads his hand on he there. He puts his hand over the top of yeah. his chest. He uses his, his momentum of his arm. I know it looks like nothing. Greg Vanny called the decision replay. disgraceful, by the way. Yeah, I don't think it's disgraceful. There's contact there. He comes across him. He feels the contact. He goes down. Right. Okay. So, but if he hadn't have given it, then VAR, you believe, wouldn't have given anything. No. Right. Not in, not when they realised it was in the box. Because you mentioned it so well at half time when you spoke about... During my shower. Yeah. <laughs> That was hilarious. <laughs> he was getting soaked at half time by the sprinklers. By the sprinklers. <laughs> and I'm, honestly, I'm, uh, this is the second time this has happened. I'm in my suit and everyone's laughing at me in the crowd. I'm doing my video, but and Stevie throws down, me and Stevie are going over this in- very interesting discussion. I'd like to have more time on it. And meanwhile, a guy's throwing me a towel when the B-roll's rolling and I'm driving myself down. And then the director's on, you're on camera and I'm throwing him a towel back, trying to get my own words right. It's all over your grave. You chose to wear a grey suit as well, so you could see the wet all over it. What a clown! Uh, but sorry, but <laughs> yeah, I, I said what did I say again? I remind me. You you said it very well that there's this unwritten rule in football. Maybe there shouldn't be, but it's a fact. There is someone that's considered a foul outside the box is not a penalty. Yes, that's right. I did say. And that. so, it's like the threshold, right? Yeah, it's a different so threshold. it's a different threshold. Yeah. That 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 hand that Drew Moore puts on to Gerso and uses a bit of weight and momentum to to bundle him over, and I say that with yeah. tongue in cheek, um, is not enough to warrant a penalty. But this is the problem. This is the issues that we're starting to get into with VR. It's it's very clinical. It's it's video review. It's it becomes a clinical thing, and we don't play a clinical game. We play no. a game that's uh, it's refereed. It's it's decided on emotion, on venue, on occasion, on all these unwritten rules that that make our game the best in the world come into different decisions that are made mm. throughout a 90 minutes KJ mm. you know if that's the World Cup final you're a bit more I'm going to keep my card in my pocket I'm not going to bring a yellow out I don't want to see a red come too early in a World Cup final all these kind of silly little things that come with soccer and so when VR rightly decides that it's inside the box it can't really overrule and say well you know it shouldn't have been a penalty because again it's a very clinical thing and there's a hand over the chest and so it has to give it. And it, 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 it dis- it's disappointing because it really affects the game when you get decisions like that. It affects players. Players get angry. It affects coaches who are under immense pressure every single week to win games week in, week out. And it becomes, you know, a bit of a mockery, doesn't it? It yes. becomes a bit of a shambles and a bit of a pantomime. That's what I don't like about it. Yeah, I'll get to my other point about VR in a second. But to, to describe the, the, the way the game went... Um, Felipe Gutierrez scored the penalty so that's 25th minute yeah. then TFC had probably one of the best 20 minutes they've had all season yeah. I think following that the way they passed the ball really got good. it out to quick like, wide scored a great goal didn't great they? goal by De Leon set up by Morrow to make it one each and and then you felt like their the momentum was with them but there's a criticism of the TFC again on the day although I thought they played very well and they didn't certainly I don't believe they deserve to lose mm-hmm. second half I thought they slow again yeah I think again too often that happens they start halves not at the level that they need to start them at yeah tempo wise attitude I don't know what it is but they allowed Casey to get back yeah. into the game when they could have buried him really yeah they could have yeah it was there for them to, to then take it on in the second half but Something changed, something changed in the mindset, something changed a little bit in the tactics. They were still tentative. There were too many behind the ball and, and then they get caught in between. Mm. And I saw the goal coming, actually, the, the, the penalty yeah, decision. Same. We'll talk about that in a sec. But it was, uh, Greg Vanning's mentioned this often to us, KJ, where uh, he talks about his team coming back into a shape and then the initiation of pressure, of uh, the press from TFC coming at the wrong times. And it came from De Leon, who ironically, mm. I don't know if it was De Leon or Westbrook, I think it was De Leon who was penalised for the, 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 the foul for the well, penalty. he was given a yellow for right, it. Right, so, so it was him. Must have been him. So it was a kind of uh, awkward one. But anyway, he, he starts a press from that sort of left-hand side. And it was a terrible press. Mm. It wasn't the right time to go. It was really easy for the central defenders to split out to the right back. And then there was an overload on that right-hand side. 
Gutierrez was there. I think Gerso was there. My, my memory serves me right. But Gutierrez was heavily involved. A little bit of an overload. Lovely situation. Gutierrez came in, Great played pass, a yeah. nice little one-two with Kwasi, who who was <laughs> he's not a number nine, but he was Did excellent, well. wasn't he? he was. Did really well. And then the challenge comes in, but the, but it comes from that bad step, and they were quite good defensively all night. Mm. But these are the small little things that are really important that, that, that Greg Vanny's mentioned to us that we just see wrong too often from, from yep. a Toronto FC side where, you know, you've got to know if you step there, the a, it's the first decision is, is this step right? Can I affect this centre-back and what he's going to do? The answer was no, bad step. But if I am going to go and I am going to step, will my colleague, my partner, my uh, my teammate come in behind me? Will he step with me? And will I initiate a pressure from my team? And the answer is no, no. because they're doing it in ones and twos and too, they're doing it- Too often that happens. Too, too often. And there's a lot in every game. And they're doing it without the plan, KJ, mm-hmm. without a, a, a real identity to the way that they press and when they press and from what area of the field. And it's, it's small little things and it, it leads to four, five, six passes later, a penalty decision, which was wrong in my opinion, that leads to a goal. And and these are the things that TFC need to clean up if they're going to get anywhere near challenging because it's, it's not good enough. Completely agree. And it's nice to actually talk about something refreshing because I think we've talked a lot about their lack of balance as an attacking unit, but that's something we haven't talked about enough. And yeah. it's definitely an issue is that the way they collectively defend. Yeah. And that, and that is an issue. Uh, finally, before we get on to Portugal, Netherlands, you mentioned it. They can see the second penalty again put away by Felipe Gutierrez. Yeah. Um, you say no penalty. Not a penalty. I don't think that, um, again, VR stepped in. The referee didn't give it. Nope. Right decision, in my opinion. That was not clear and obvious. Dillion put his foot across. I didn't see any real contact with Gutierrez. I thought for uh, in the first instance when it was going to go to review, he came right across him. I don't think so. I think Gutierrez was going to ground already. Very bad decision, in my opinion. Again, another unwritten rule of football, especially in light of what had happened before. You know, you need to be sure if VR is going to come in there, it has to be clear and obvious. It mm-hmm. has to be the right thing to do. And it wasn't in this in this occasion, in my opinion. No, I think I agree again, using that word threshold. I think it was below the threshold of clear and obvious. And I think that they would be disappointed that they, they stepped in yep. on that. One final word about this. And we are in the middle of a, of a genuine footballing revolution right now with VAR. Yeah. Okay. It's like a discussion almost every single week on every platform that you want to talk about. Yep. And some people don't like it. I think we need to embrace the discussion and think about how we can get it better. I don't know if it's because I've watched some England, uh, some, some, cricket world cup stuff this week where their review system is absolutely magnificent the way that you can hear it in the stadium but one thing i'll say about this and then we'll move on is that it leaves an unsatisfactory taste in the public's mouths in the stadium and they've got to get it better yeah okay it's one thing for you and i to look at that and and we've got a benefit of a replay we've got commentary and we can talk about it on air the people in the stands don't know what's going on yeah they don't know who's got Whose foul is it? What are you reviewing? You've got to find a way of educating these people. You need these people on your side. How do you get them on your side? Educate. Educate and inform. I don't care whether it's putting it on the screen. They've got to do a better job of it, mate, because people are just getting mad and angry and frustrated. And they're going to do that anyway if it's against their team. But if it's like anything. You go to a court of law. If you present facts and evidence and you give them a way of seeing that this is ultimately the expert in his field has decided this, you might not like it, but you've got to respect it. Of course. But now they're not liking it and they're not respecting it. And that's a massive problem. Yeah, it's a massive problem. I know when it comes into Premier League, there's going to be there's going to be more transparency. There's every stadium that has a screen is right. going to show it and going to take yes. you through the process. Which I think's a great idea, and, and and I know there'll be controversy with that in England. But you're right, KJ. You say that best. The facts are the facts. If the facts are that the right decisions made, then yeah, you can gripe about it if you're the home team and the away team's got a penalty. But that's what it is. The thing. At the moment for me, and I, we are big fans of we VR. Are. We still are. We, are. we still think that we'll get it right and that this will be good for the game. But the problem at the moment is that this has not improved the game at the moment. It's still subjective. It's still uh, opinions. It's not as clear as I hoped it would be. It's it's uh, shown us that some of the rules, or a lot of the rules need to be looked at and need to be uh, tweaked 
or changed. Mm-hmm. And so we're at a moment in time where it's bringing more controversy. We thought that it would end a lot of controversy and it'd be, you know, it, it would stop that team from not getting that decision that was absolutely vital to, you know, success or millions and millions of pounds and dollars, uh, uh, you know, a trophy or, or, you know, Champions League football or whatever it may be. And it's not doing that. It's just creating another kind of controversy. A kind that none of us wanted. We love our game. We yeah. love the way that it was. We liked it the way that it went. So I urge the authorities to to really work hard and and, and getting this right, getting the communication right, changing the rules that need to be changed, clearing up the handball. I don't want to see a penalty every game. No. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of seeing penalty kicks in games, so especially for handballs. I don't want to see it. So clean it up, change the rule, make the, the rule more definitive and, and, and a little bit protective of the defending players. I, we're going to end up getting 5-5s, five KJ, 6-5s, mm-hmm. and there's going to be goals, 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 goals with the attacking players that we see these days unless we fix these rules and we try and make this the system a little bit better. Maybe next week we won't talk about a penalty awarded by VAR. <laughs> Just maybe. maybe. Um, Portugal didn't get a penalty, but they did win 1-0 against Netherlands in a Nations League uh, final in Porto. In the end, probably narrowly the better side, but yeah. a very good game, I think, for a final. A very tactical game for a game at the very end of the season. A game that I think the best compliment I could give it is that it felt like a club game. Yeah. And you don't always feel like that when you're watching international teams. And Portugal were very organized. Netherlands look a very different team under Ronald Koeman. Lot to like about them. They, let's be honest, outclassed England in the yeah. semifinals and deserved it, even though it went to extra time. And uh, Portugal got the goal uh, from Geresh and won another final 1 0. Netherlands yeah. lose another final 1 0. Um, not that we can compare finals for Euros and, and World Cups, but in the end, a, a, a lot to like about this the, with both two teams looking very encouraging going into next summer. Yeah, a lot to like about this game. A, a very good pace there and a, a great tactical game. The, the Portuguese are they're a very dangerous side, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're organized, controlled. They're a team, they're well coached and they have players of quality and, and there's no end to the players of quality as well. Yes, Ronaldo's getting on in years. Guedes is young. Bernardo Silva, uh, Bruno, Bruno Fernandes, Fernandes yeah. was magnificent. Yeah. William Carvalho looks like he can go forever. Yeah. Ruben Diaz has a bit of energy in at the back. Very, Pepe very was injured. Game, yeah. Fontas looked good. He's one of the older guys. Yeah. A real mix and blend there. Experience and, and, and age and then youth. and uh, Good goalkeeper. A good goalie. Yeah. They're a solid side. They're going to be a real threat when it comes to Euros. They're, they're a danger. If Ronaldo is still going along, which I think he will be, um, They'll be they'll be close and an exciting young Dutch side who to me are are very interesting as well the things that they're doing tactically the way that they play they're a couple of players short of being truly elite in the UEFA section in my opinion a striker mainly being yes. that guy two outstanding centre halves a left back short mm. a right back short probably in my opinion and a centre forward because the midfield sensational Van de Beek was on the bench he couldn't get a game around exceptionally well great, yeah. the brilliant season with Atalanta and Frankie De Jong's going to Barcelona so a, a great game a real a real tactical game that was going to be decided in a great moment and, and Guedes provided that he's a good player isn't he he's getting better he had a brilliant season with Valencia and um, what do you think about the goalie could he have maybe saved should it should have saved it Tillerson yep. yeah should have saved it got enough but he got more than enough on yeah. it to, to, to put to palm it away. I think he should have saved it. Yeah, probably a top yeah. goalie saves it, doesn't he? I think I, I like Sawson. Maybe it was just one of those mistakes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he should have saved it. For me, uh, two quick things. Portugal need more players who can score than not called Ronaldo. So the more you can get players like Geddes getting more yeah. and more goals and Bruno Fernandes at international level, yep. you can rely on them. You're going to win, you know, you're not going to win competitions, major European competitions and World Cups doing the way Portugal did it last time. You got to be able to find different goal scorers. So, you know, that's important. I think the, the, and it's funny because people will probably jump all over this comment, but the more you can reduce the responsibility of Cristiano Ronaldo, the better they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Uh, every, I don't care if, I would prefer him to have less and less touches, just making sure that he's that penalty box number nine. Absolutely. Point. Because other than that, he's, he, you know, they recognise 
three or four years ago that on the wing is a, li- a liability defensively. So they had Geddesh and they had Fernandez and they worked really hard on the on the flanks. Yep. So just have him be that, be, have him be that and not even work. Don't even need to go anywhere. Just hang out there, you know, take your glory, score your goals and, and then get mad at Bernardo Silva when he's given tournament <laughs> player the, uh, the best player of the tournament with that disgraceful, dirty look that he gave his teammate. Um, uh, that's one thing on them. And the Netherlands, I like Darun and De Jong and, and Vijnaldum. I think they've got a really good combination. Vijnaldum goes quite high a lot and makes it difficult yeah. for the fullbacks as well. So a lot to like about that. And in the end, the Nations League provided success. It was success. great. It was really great good. start to the Nations League. It's only going to get stronger. It is. Okay, let's get on to our Gold Cup preview. And as we said, Warren Barton will join us shortly to preview all things Gold Cup, in particular, the United States, who are mainly hosting the tournament. I know there's different uh, other countries now as well, Costa Rica as well as Jamaica hosting some games as well. Um, But this segment, we'll save for 10 minutes or so here for Canada. And um, they play Saturday against Martinique in the opening game, followed by obviously a game against Mexico, which will be a challenge that comes in Denver um, next week. Wednesday, Wednesday, June the 19th, followed by a game against Cuba on the 23rd in Charlotte. So let's get into what we believe are Canada's strengths, maybe weaknesses. Maybe we try and pick their 11 if you want. Yeah, we could do. You know, if you want to go there as well. First of all, let's talk about the 11. And we expect Boyan to be a goalkeeper, I think. Even though Max Rippo's had a very good- Great season. Great season. And do you think you maybe give him a game? I think he will give yeah, him a game. I think he, I think he deserves a game, actually. So. And 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 Borian's been terrific, but uh, he's really surprised me, Kripo. He's been he's been excellent, and every time I see him, yeah. I actually think he gets better as well. So I think he's got a great future, and he'll get a game. Yeah, had a good chat with him in Vancouver. A confident guy, getting more and more confident as as every as it comes on. We expect um, Brogiard to play right back. Yes. Do we expect Mark Anthony K to play left back? Yes. Is that the right decision? No. <laughs> okay. Sorry, then. John. This is a, instead of making this a yes and no game, let's get into that. If you're giving me a yes, I'd have moved on. Okay, so you want Mark anthony K, arguably one of the best midfielders in yeah. Major League Soccer this year, to play in midfield. Yes, absolutely. Has yeah. to play in midfield. Three-man midfield. Um, unfortunately for John, his best players are in the same position. Right. And so he's trying to just get all his best players in the team, which is... It's somewhat smart. Mark Anthony K can play left back. Mark Anthony K will tuck inside. They'll play a, a a sort of modern form of left back where he where he looks like a central midfield player a lot of times. But once you get to latter stages and once you need an actual left back, and and, and Mark Anthony K is a, a powerful player. I don't think he's particularly explosive, and so I think it'll become an issue for him as he tucks inside to then get back out there. And I don't want to see him in 1v1 situations defending a, a good winger. Right. And so I think that might be a problem uh, for Canada. And, and I'd like to see him in his best position. Because while Azorio has quality and, 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 and even Piet is fantastic and well, Arfield's going to play and he should play and he's, he's going to be on the right side, I think Mark anthony Kay should be in, in, in either that deep line position or probably on the, the left side of the, the deep line midfielder. So if you do that and you're the manager, who do you play left back? That's the big That's problem, the problem, isn't it? That, I, I think that comes into the conversation. Yeah. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, it's 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 putting together pairs, no? Yeah. You've got two cards in your hand and you go into the table. Yeah. And do you want Mark anthony Kay and Ashton Morgan in your hand? Mm-hmm. Or do you want Mark anthony Kay and the card's ripped in half a little bit and it's yeah. not properly a card. He can't be the guy you want him to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, and Samuel Piet, yeah. right? Or something yeah, like that. I understand. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And I think they're the conversations he's having. We need to have this conversation moving on to the next point and merging both because Atiba Hutchinson isn't involved in this conversation. Yes. Because is Atiba Hutchinson going to play centre-back? Yes. Do you think he'll play there on yes. Saturday? Is that the right decision? Saturday, probably be okay. But okay. throughout the tournament, probably not. Right. You know, and this is a problem again when you start to think about the second game against Mexico, depending on what team John picks in that game. Maybe he makes some changes, a group game, yes. it affords him that. But then as you go into quarterfinals, hopefully semis and final, and you're going to be playing against Costa Rica, the US and Mexico mm-hmm. uh, in whatever order. Yeah. Then you know you've got a standard of the game that's that's really difficult, and, and I'm not sure Atiba is. I've never really seen centre back qualities in Atiba. He's a slight guy. He can get around the field. He, he's smart player, and he, he gets into good areas. But 
I've never really seen him as a centre-back. And so um, I understand against the weaker nations in CONCACAF why he would play there on the ball, smart enough to understand the positional sense of centre-back. But can you imagine Josie Altador, a fit and rare in Josie Altador against Atiba Hutchinson? Right. If I'm the US, I fancy that match-up, you know. And, yeah, and whereas Cornelius and, and, and Henry maybe aren't quite the standard of player that Atiba is, physically... They can handle Josie. They know what it takes to play centre half. They'll deal with the aerial battle. So, again, it's just trying to get the best players in the team, isn't it? Yeah, I like players playing in positions that they're familiar with. Yep. I've never been a big fan of moving guys around, but I'm sure they're, they're, they're working on it. And this brings up another conversation is where is Alfonso Davis's best position in this team? Do you play him on the left wing or do you say, okay, we want Jonathan David and Junior Hoylet to play on the wings and we're going to play Alfonso Davies at left back? You know what I think about Alfonso Davies? I think he's a left back. I think he's a world-class left back in the making if he's developed in that position. I don't think he's a world-class left winger. I agree with you 100%. And I think that Alfonso Davies could play left back yeah. against anybody in this tournament. Yes, Right, and then Absolutely. you can play Mark Anthony Kay in midfield, and then you can play Jonathan David and Junior Hoyler and Cavallini. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and then you get everybody in the team, and right. it looks more balanced, doesn't it? You don't get everybody in the team. Yeah, <laughs> but I know <laughs> so, what you're saying. Sorry, Jonathan Osorio. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the next conversation is that. Now we don't yeah. know how fit Jonathan Osorio yeah. is. We have uh, reached out. I've certainly have reached out to try and get some answers about you know th things are going on. We haven't heard back yet. We'll be doing some calls this week, uh, so we'll get some more clarity on that. So I mean, look, we've we've played you know formation geek long enough here, trying to figure, figure <laughs> this all out. What does Canada need to do? to make this a successful tournament. We've talked about this yeah. a little bit in the past. Is it just simply getting to the semifinals or is there a lot more to evaluate here well, for me? Yeah. I think, I think there might be. I think a lot of it is down to the presence of Canada. John yeah. Herdman has worked on a lot of about that. I think a lot of it is about going out there and having an aura about Canada now and not being in this inferiority complex as, as prior to that. We've both been around this group. We've both been around John and the positivity is real. Yes. The buy-in is real from the players. They are a really close, tight-knit group. That is not fake for the media. That no. is a fact. And I'd like to see that go out there on the field. And I'd like them to go out there and dictate at least two of these three group games the way they want to see these games played out. Outcomes and results sometimes are difficult to, to really uh, to judge. And you hope that they are a byproduct of what everything else you do. And the outcome comes out itself. A game of randomness sometimes may go the, against them. Yeah. But ultimately, that's I think that's what I'm looking at. Obviously, results matter. The scores are going to evaluate the, the way that they progress through the group and how people are going to remember them. But for me, I'm looking at the other stuff. I'm looking about how they go out there and dictate themselves on an international stage. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? How do they, how do they assert themselves on the individual games? First, the group games, and then hopefully a quarterfinal. And... What I mean by that is, do they do they take on the concepts that, that John's been building on in, in basically easy, easy matches? Can they take that into a match that's actually got some meaning in it and actually playing against a quality of player that's yeah. not going to just let you tuck inside as a full back and create an overload in midfield? Not ask you a question, well, okay, you want to go in there, I'm going to go and stand out here. What are you going to do now if my team get the ball? And I'm... Um, whoever, Pineda for Mexico, and I'm going to get the ball and then I'm going to be running at your your centre-back. Yeah. Now, you know, it's, it's easy being brave against a team that you're dominating. It's not easy being brave when you're leaving a world-class player in, in a dangerous situation. So can they dominate their concepts in the way that they play or can they be part of a game against a, a, a team like Mexico or a Costa Rica in the quarter-final and be right in that game and take that forward, take the, the, the ideas, the tactics forward and show that it's it's capable and sustainable at a higher level through qualifying for 2022, exactly. through the building process heading into 26. That's a successful tournament. I think if they do that, they might just get to a semi-final because mm. I think if, if with, a, with the talent that they have, if they're taking on these ideas and they're working and it's been, been tweaked and fine-tuned to the point where they don't leave some of their weaker positions vulnerable... I think they can beat a Costa Rica in a quarter final, and I think it'll be a wonderful tournament in that case. Oh boy, if they beat Costa Rica in a quarter final, that will be a tremendous tournament for Canada. I think it's important to note that it cannot just be based on outcomes, though. I think it's funny how the memory now plays tricks on people sometimes. Everyone says that last time's World Cup was a really good Gold Cup for Canada. Yeah. And it was based at the time. 
but they didn't play that well. No. They played well in certain periods of the game. Alfonso Davies had a breakout because he did a great in a game. You know, like, I think if they go out in the quarterfinals this time, I don't want to hear, look, this comes down to how they're going to perform again. This is my, the eye test here. Yeah. You know, the test, the eye test, not the stats test, the eye test here. How are you going to go out there? If they go out in a quarterfinal, there's a real chance it could be a massive improvement. Yeah. Even if the outcome is the same. That's all I'm saying. But boy, oh boy, we certainly hope for more. Okay, let's on, on let's move on now to uh, the next section of the Gold Cup preview and get Warren Barton from Fox on the phone. Pleased to be now joined by Warren Barton, who will be an analyst on the Gold Cup for Fox. And I can't start the Gold Cup chat with Warren without talking about Stephen Colwell with Warren first. Sorry, Stevie, you're not going to ask about yourself. But uh, Warren, maybe you can give us some stories for our listeners about you and Stevie and your, your time together back in England. No, we had a, a fantastic time. Um, it was good to catch up with him a little while ago when I was up in uh, Toronto doing a game for Fox. Um a model professional. He was a great lad. Obviously, he's a, a little bit young, a little bit younger than me. He don't look it, but he's a little <laughs> bit younger than me. But um, a very good professional. And I'm not surprised uh, that, that he's gone on and been a leader and, and had a great had a great career. Um, and obviously, doing that well as an analyst and, and looking after himself. So I've got a lot of time. It was, as I said, we had a wonderful time together with myself, Gary Speed, Shay Gibbon. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, and Stevie was part of that, and he's had, a, as I said, a wonderful career. Well, what a time to be there at Newcastle learning for guys like yourself, Warren. It was an absolute privilege and uh, it was uh, such a great experience for me to see what it takes to be a top professional. So I, I really appreciate all the help that you gave me alongside the guys you mentioned. And uh, I learned so much and I took that on throughout my entire career. Great stuff. Um, okay, Warren, let's get into no, the... That's why you were successful, you know that. You know, <laughs> exactly. Why, like, I'm on 10% of what you earned. You should have given me 10%. <laughs> that's right. You keep you keep on him. Let's get into the US. Um, they have obviously had a, der- a terrible time over the last few days, losing Jamaica and then the 3-0 loss on Sunday to Venezuela. Warren, very negative uh, storylines around this team at the moment. Obviously, a lot of that is born out of the frustration of not qualifying for the World Cup last time. But... I was saying to Stevie earlier when we were just pre, you know preparing for this show, it reminds me a little bit about what it used to be like covering England or watching England a little bit with with extreme negativity, more talk about players uh, that are not there, a lot of uh, anger and aggression to the players that are there. Um, it doesn't seem like a very good time right now for this United States soccer team. Yeah, but we wasn't that bad. I'll tell you, we, <laughs> we had bad time. <laughs> um, no, from, from our point of view, obviously, with the disappointment of not qualifying for the World Cup under Bruce, uh, was a major, major blow for everybody uh, involved in US soccer, whether it's at club level, academy level, or you go right away to the top of the uh, MLS and national teams. So that, that was a major, major blow. Um, and I think everybody wanted a, an instant success and a transition. Um, but the players that have been involved in the squad over the last three or four years I found it difficult. Um, the expectations are high, um, and obviously the, the demand is there from the public. And that's that for me. That's a good thing. You want to be under pressure. I think in the past, too many times it's been, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll just see how it goes. We're trying to develop. No, that then times have gone. Um, and the frustration that you're talking about in recent weeks is that that magic wand, but that's not going to materialise straight away. You know, Greg's a, a good coach. He understands the game. He wants to get the the best out of his players and. I think he's finding that quickly that there's only a small pool that he's really going to look at that's going to be successful uh, on the world stage because some of the players that have performed in these games, and Stevie will tell you, it's sometimes just the basic things they don't understand, whether it's their touch on the ball, whether it's making an angle for the ball, whether it's having that desire to get forward, to get back. It, it doesn't seem to be there. Um, and that's something that would concern me as a coach. But there's obviously players that will come in. Christian Pulisic will be there, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams. Uh, Josie Altidore will come in, Michael Bradley. So you're going to have established players that have played at a high level for a number of years. So there will be a change going into the Gold Cup. But what I think what Greg's found out very quickly is that this pool that he's got is, is small um, and he's going to have to work with someone like Tad Ramos with some of the younger players coming through to see if there are players that they can develop. Um, and it needs to be happening quickly because, you know, as well as I do, fellas, the, the Americans don't do second best. They don't want it. They want to be competitive. They want to do well. Um, and they want to be competing at the highest level. So that's something that needs to happen quickly. And I, But I think it's a good thing with the criticism 
for the players because it's a bit of a reality check. I think too many of them think that it's, it's too easy. And I've, I've heard Stevie talk and commentate on you know the, the MLS games, and he's right. You know, they, it, it does mean a lot to to train well, to be a good professional, to to be the first one at the training ground, to be the last one to leave. If you want to be a top player, if you don't, then you'll just be mediocre. And that's what we're getting a little bit at the moment. But there are signs that it obviously will improve. And um, he knows now quickly in the job that he's not going to have months and months to prepare uh, because people want success. I think that Greg's a coach who really believes in his style, Warren. I've heard a lot of nonsense about that style not being applicable or or being able to, to play that way in international football. Uh, do you believe that it's more just the opportunity that he's given the MLS players in particular to see if they're up to that level and and uh, or less about the style? Or do you think that he does have to maybe curb the way that he plays a little bit and, and, and try and be a wee bit more pragmatic at the international level? No, I think when you first go in as a coach, you have to make that stand of how we're going to play and then maybe fine-tune it as you go along. Look at, look at Pep Guardiola. He went to Man City. He said, I want to play at the back. The goalkeeper couldn't do it. So then he's got told him to kick it long. So you, you change to your means of what you've got at that time. But I think when you're a coach first going into a football club into a football club or a national team club, you have to have foundations and say, this is how we're going to play. As soon as you start adjusting quickly, that's a sign of, not, not of a weakness, but players will say, well, are we playing this way? Are we playing your way? Or how are we going to play? And you know, Stevie, as well, once, once players start guessing, got a little bit of anarchy breaking up. So I think he has to be rigid and say, this is how we're going to play. They're good enough to play it. They just have to understand how he wants to play. Warren, you remember under Jurgen Klinsmann, there was some criticism about too many Major League Soccer players at the time in the United States team. Do you subscribe to the theory that some people are writing this week that there's not enough competitiveness within this US national team? And that might be out of the fact that they're playing in MLS and not necessarily in the competitive environment of European football. Is there anything to that or is that really unfair? No, I think it's a touch unfair because I watch a lot of MLS soccer and, you know, the Champions League's the Champions League, the Premier League's the Premier League and I think if you ask any player in MLS, they'd want to play in the league or they want to play in the, in the Premier League and play in, obviously, Champions League that, that we've been able to do in our career. So that's, that's not beat around the bush. The players want to get there. But the MLS is getting better and stronger and quality. They've just sold a player from Atlanta for, for nearly $30 million to one of the biggest clubs in, in the Premier League. So... The, the, the players are here, uh, but what I do find and understanding and being around MLS and Academy is that it's not just one game. You've got to do it for a season. You've got to do it for a season and a half, and you've got to keep persevering and training. It doesn't, as I said, you know, it's the whole package of being a top professional player. You know, if you can have five, anyone can have five or six good games and then sit back and rest on their laurels. It's the players, and that's why you look at the likes of Clint Dempsey and Brad Friedel and Casey Keller, these players that have gone out, have gone to the big leagues and been there for five years, ten years, eight years, you know. Anyone can go for three months and just see how it is and know it's not for me and come back. But the MLS is getting better. There's no doubt about that. It's the, the competition is getting stronger. Um, people sometimes as well from abroad and, you know, maybe one of them is... is was, people in the UK as well, they don't understand the travel, the heat, the humidity, they, these type of things that are being involved. You, you haven't got a roster where you can just chop and change right the way throughout the season where you've got your limited amount of players and you have to deal with that and cope with it. So there's a little bit of naivety and ignorance that come in through some of them comments. But uh, players, I do believe, that have got to find that whatever you put into the game, and Steve will tell you, whatever you put into the game, it will give you back. If you take shortcuts as a player in the MLS you're not going to get what you want out of it. And now whether that's winning championships or being in the MLF for a decade or you go off to maybe play for PSG or Barcelona or, as I said, teams in the Premier League, it's, it's entirely up to you because when you get that chance, you've got to take it. Uh, looking ahead to their group a little bit, Warren, obviously it's it's not plain sailing in my opinion. You would think they'll beat Guyana, but... Panama and Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago, of course, gave them huge problems in the World Cup qualifying what do you think, you know, expecting them to go through and looking ahead, do you think that it's this is a case of a, a big quarter final ahead or do you think they may have problems in the group stage? No, I think they'll be fine in the group stage. Um, it's probably good. And when Greg came into Fox um, about two or three months ago, we were chatting about that. He's quite pleased that he's got a tough group because it will give them, because there's a target on their back, you know, whether it's Mexico or the US in Gold Cup. 
you know, put, people want to try and beat them, and you, you have to understand that quite quickly. So, you know, like you've said, when you're coming against Panama and Trinidad and Tobago, that on their day can turn it on and can be a difficult proposition. Uh, the US have to be up for that game, um, and they have to be prepared. So, But I do, do see them getting stronger and better in the tournament. Uh, the squad of players that he's got... Uh, are good enough to go all the way, but so is so is Mexico, and you know so is the likes of maybe Jamaica, who caused them some problems and couldn't handle the physical side of it. So you know you, you look at that, and, you know Canada. I was watching a, a program about Canada and the team that they've got, and that togetherness of belief. They're going to be a dangerous team as well. So you know the US have to go into this tournament knowing what the expectations are and dealing with that. Uh, but I think they're good enough to do that, and I think the games they've got coming up will make them aware of that very quickly. Warren, what would be a successful tournament for Greg Berhalter? I don't necessarily want to talk about the the US here in this question because obviously the players are there to win. But uh, from a coaching point of view, um, results take care of themselves. Obviously, if you put together the, the outcomes is something you can't always control. But what would you think would be a successful competition for this? What would Greg Berhalter be looking to try and accomplish here at the Gold Cup? Well, listen, if it was me, fellas, I'd go to win it. I'd, I'd right. make a statement and say, after what's happened in the World Cup with um, not qualifying, is we've got to get some pride back in, we've got to get some belief, and we've got to get a bit of trust from the nation. So nothing less than, than winning it, unless you go to a penalty shootout and lose in the final, and then it can go either way. But I think unless you go and win it, 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 it could end up being a disappointment because he's had time, he's had preparation, and he's getting his players in, in, in that right frame of mind, and he's getting his big hitters back. Um, and now it's now it's time to perform and uh, uh, it's down to the players and him and his staff and, and get prepared and, and obviously go out and win it. Well, Warren, we really appreciate you taking some time here. Enjoy being an analyst on the on the, on the Gold Cup. We'll be watching and listening and uh, when Premier League rolls on, we'll get you back on and talk some Newcastle, okay? Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Warren. All the best, Stevie. See you, mate. All the best. See you Thanks, so mate. Lovely. Appreciate Take it. Care. Good luck to you. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Warren, for your time. Before we move on to your questions in Hashtag ask AFP. Stevie, let's finish our chat on the Gold Cup. Mexico obviously looked like an enormous favourite. A lot of discussion in the media this week has been about who's not there yeah. for Mexico. And boy, oh boy, have they got some players who are not there. But they still got terrific players. And it looks like they are overwhelming favourites to to turn this on. You know, they're, yes. they're hurt that they didn't do it last time. Obviously, they believe they are, quite rightly, the giants of CONCACAF. Yes. And they have still got a formidable line- lineup here, and they'll be expecting to win this con- comfortably, won't they? Yeah, they will be. And in, in, in light of the US issues as well, I think, you know, they're, they're overwhelming favourites here. Yes. Even with the guys missing, you look at the guys they still have there. They have Guardado, you know, they have Raul Jimenez, they have Pizarro, they have Pineda, Jonathan De Santos, Eric Gutierrez, PSV. They have six or seven centre-halves we were talking about we were. that they've got so many centre-halves you can loan Canada one or two of them that'd be nice yeah. that'd be nice but um, so much quality so much experience guys that been to World Cups multiple occasions so they are they are the favourites I just think that and they've started well under uh, Tata Martino uh, he's had four games he's had four wins yeah. he's, he looks pretty good and he you know he's using that style of his on this team so I would be pretty shocked if they don't win it um, but once it gets to knockouts you never know what's going to happen do you you know you don't know how the guys are going to jail we talked about players being in positions for Canada and um, and what that might mean it's, it's it's always about relationships isn't it it's always about how do these guys connect to each other how do they gel and and maybe the issue for Tata here KJ is what living does he pick yeah because he's got to get the centre half pairing right the deep line midfielder, probably Gordado, but you know, is it Alvarez? You know, can he he can play in there? He's been quite good in that position. And can he get the the, the top position right? Can he get some support to Raul Jimenez? Can he take on his form that he showed at Wills in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, if we want, if we want to do predictions here, I would imagine that both of us pick Mexico to win. I'd imagine that both of us would think that Raul Jimenez would get the golden boot. No. Yes. I mean, he's going to be firing in this tournament I would yeah, imagine it should be. you know it's going to be very difficult to think that and I know they've given um, Montez and Vega and Sanchez some games in the build up to this yeah. tournament in Mexico but I don't think they're going to be key starters to this you know I think it you know, it looks like a Choro playing goal you yeah. know you know Rodriguez uh, uh, Salcedo uh, Rowe, maybe 
Gallardo at the back. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you know, it's um, yep. um, Alvarez going to play, isn't he? And he's too good I would not think to play. So, yeah, um, and Gallardo will play. Uh, I think uh, I'd like to see Pizarro play. Rodolfo Pizarro. Yeah, he's class. I'd isn't love he? to see him play, and I think he could be a, a, a true golden ball. Yeah, I think he could win the whole thing. I think he could be he could be the best player in this tournament. Is that good? He was he was brilliant when we saw him uh, last season in, in the Concacaf Champions League. He's went on to Monterrey. He's had another successful season. He's, he's a game changer, isn't he? Yeah, he's a guy who can um, drift. He, he doesn't need to be in the game for for large periods. He just sort of comes in and, and has a moment of quality. He's a, he's a game changer. He's a guy who. Who, who does something very special, sees a pass or, or, or does a little bit of skill, puts it in the back of the net. and So I think they have to try and find a, a position for him. I like Pineda as well. I don't know if he gets a star, mm-hmm. but he's one that we liked and through um, TFC's CONCACAF Champions League campaigns as well. And um, I don't know, that that's the issue. Who do you pick? Who's the right combination? What's the partnerships there? How do you get the best out of your your best players that's going to be the key who connects well with Al Jimenez and who gets him the service that he likes Wolves did a smart thing with Al Jimenez they got him playing in a style that suited his play and that's yes. why he looks such a good player because there's times even though he's played at the highest levels of Europe there's times where he's looked okay now he looks fantastic can they get similar pieces to, to create a similar style for him to succeed hopefully uh, it should be a good tournament I, I don't know but many people think otherwise do you think USA Mexico final looks likely, doesn't it? I mean, I'm looking forward to yeah. Leon, Leon Bailey. Looks like a star player. Yeah. We, we did a lot of games for when he was at Leverkusen. Uh, I don't know whether anybody else is going to beat Mexico. US, you just never know. As we heard from Warren, they could build up forward. Yeah, it depends. They've Again, got a lot of things to like. They've about got them. big uh, lineup issues as well, hasn't it, yeah. Greg? You know, who does exactly. he pick? Does he go back to tried and tested, or does he stay strong and try and get some exactly. players, some real experience through this Gold Cup? Uh, Honduras lost to Brazil no real embarrassment there but it was 7-0 you know yeah. so they're they're having some of their problems as well well Brazil don't have Neymar anymore so they're I, better I really fancy Canada KG I really fancy <laughs> to win it them. not to win oh, it but oh, I got excited there look at you he was right on top of that there wasn't he he no, loves I was it like, I was like I was going to win no I, I really fancy them to do well I really I'm yeah. excited for this young bunch of players I, I do think that they've got real quality and they've got guys that this is their time this is their this tournament. Is this is when we look back and we think, you know, in 10 years' time when we assess the, the decade that's been for the Canadian national team, I do think we'll look at this tournament as being very pivotal and, and players that become absolute regulars and, and, and some superstars for the national team will have sort of sort of broke out in this tournament, became, you know, real big hitters at an international level. And you can hear Stevie and I on the tournament on this very podcast as well as TSN. Over to you, Shawnee, for hashtag AskAFP. Thanks, guys. Uh, Dino asks, with 58 players, MLS players, participating in the Gold Cup this tournament, is a 14-day break long enough for this league, or they sh- should they find a way to shut down for the entire length of the Gold Cup? Shut it down longer. Shut it down. The whole tournament. The whole tournament? It's a disgrace. It's like, you know, disgrace. how can you have a league when your players are away? It's, yeah. it's just, it makes a mockery of the regular season. And we are always harping on about making the regular season more important. It just makes it even less important. Yeah, longer. Get it longer. And um, when we understand there's a lot of hurdles to make that, and we don't have a lot of time to do that right now, but I promised in an upcoming episode one day, we want to talk about how to get MLS regular season better because we need to talk about that. Ryan asks, why is the Gold Cup always in the United States? Um, Dylan, you got a money um, sound effect? (laughs) (laughs) That is why it is always in the US. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, definitely is a hindrance for the United States. Yeah. A hindrance. As you watch World Cup qualifiers, they don't have enough games between the cycle of World Cup qualifiers in difficult environments yeah. that mean things. Okay. It's a problem. Good point. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. Basically, like think think about if like Germany or somebody played the Euros at home every time. Yeah. I want like, like they should be playing yeah, big games. Yeah, an environment yeah. In Spain and Madrid or wherever you'd be like, what's just hit me like, here? How you great know? would this World Cup be? And you know, the fact that it's in the United States is for money. I get it. But how great would this World Cup be, Gold Cup be would be if the final was in Monterey or something? Yeah, it'd be class, you know, wouldn't it? Or, you know, was it, 
Azteca or something. And then you know that the United States would be like, that'd be the carrot. Yeah. If you win the game, you've got to go into Mexico to play. And like, it, how important that would be. Be class, would be great. It? You know? It's and just, you think about um, the Euros going all over for 2020. Right. We could, we could have done something like that. You they know, a game in Toronto. Maybe they will one day. I mean, Montreal. I think they've got to have to do money. that before 2026. Yeah. They're going to have to do something like Definitely. that. Definitely. As like a little precursor for sure. I think we're going to get a similar answer, but Darren asks, why won't CONCACAF have an open draw to decide groups like every other confederation rather than behind closed doors? Yeah, we'll get that money sounded. Right <laughs> that would be nice, no? Yeah. It would be nice, but like, I think there's a reason why. The, the one thing I don't like about this is this time is that the groups are staying the same all the way through. So like Canada, like if they win the quarterfinal, they get to, you most likely get to play Mexico again. Yeah, it's silly. It's ridiculous. It's silly. That's like, but that's because they don't want a crossover. Yeah. So they don't want the United States and Mexico having to play each other. They'll yeah. stay on the same side. Yeah. And that makes sure, so even if the US or Mexico finish second in the group, it doesn't matter. They're not, they're on they're the opposite halves all the way through. They make it. You know that's what I mean? It didn't work out last it? time and maybe... Uh, Maybe the football gods will make sure they doesn't work out again. <laughs> uh, Ringino asks, uh, who advances out of Group C? Group in this C. Um, by the way, that's a great name. Ringino? Yeah. Amazing. It sounds like an amazing name. Uh, I'm going to go with Honduras and Jamaica. I yeah. Think. yeah. I can't see why not. Uh. Well, we're at it. Canada and Mexico for A. Costa Rica and I'm going to go with Nicaragua for B. And then we've done our C, and then US and Panama for D. US and Panama, definitely. Yeah, Honduras, Jamaica. Oh. Big Haiti fan? I'll tell you, I'm thinking Haiti. B is quite an interesting one. Costa Rica will win it, of course. And then, they play at home in a game. Yeah, so, it's a bit of an so I think it'll be between the other three. But yeah, it's pretty. It's going to be good competition, that one. Then Canada and Mexico. And finally, by the way, we should we should say it's nice that they're actually just picking 23 players and not having this rule this year where you oh, can yeah. like remove six and then you have like <laughs> Michael Bradley winning the player of the tournament wearing like some... What number was it, Johnny? Thirty oh, something. Yeah, or something. Here's the player of the tournament wearing a number that wasn't in, around at the start of the tournament. No offense to Michael Bradley, yeah. but that was just—I think he was even embarrassed yeah. by that being the professional that he is. Uh, Steve asks, "Why play Tyler Adams at right back and not his most impactful position?" Can't play him at right back. Can't. No. Can't play him at right back. You have to play him in midfield. For me, I know he's listed as a defender when they announced the squad. Yeah. But for me, he is by far and away a better midfielder and at this level he can impact a game a lot more there so I mean you could play Weston McKinney at right back yeah well it's back He's to this, there for Schalke yeah it's back to the one that we said with Canada isn't it you want to get your best players in the best positions so you, you pick your best team but I play midfield yeah but I know that then they're thinking well how are they going to fit everybody in and Bradley and you know Berhalter I think, likes trap yeah and, I think they like him in, at right back because of that you know you, you think of the way that uh, Affle played the Columbus crew where he tucked in a yeah, lot as well for sure. you know like we said with Mark Anthony Kay where he will come inside look like a midfielder at times as he try and kind of box off that middle of the park so we'll be able to dominate fair I don't mind him at right back but I am with you I, I, your best players play in their best positions Tyler Adams is the first name in the team sheet for me oh, when it I comes agree. to US. He's, he's been brilliant in Germany since he moved there. Player we loved when he first came into the Red Bulls team. And um, get him in his main position, get him bombing up and down, using that energy and legs, and um, and that's in midfield. You guys touched a little bit in uh, your chat earlier, but the footballing asks, given the time restrictions, uh, squad limitations, do you believe the tactical system, as nuanced as the one Burhalter is attempting to implement in the US, capable at working at the international level. I'd like to believe it. It is, yeah. surely. Why not? Any any system's capable of working, but just all does, systems... just needs time, no? Well, what, he needs time and he needs talent. Right. <laughs> so that's the key. Does he have the talent to play that system? Because right. you can have these ideas the way that you want to play, and it's, it's no disrespect, but it's okay in MLS when you have time and you can add a few trades and, and, and you know, a bit of time money used here or there. And then all of a sudden you have a squad and Columbus crew that, that play in the style that you want them to play. Well, you don't get that luxury at international level. You get handed a generation of players and you've got to get the best out of that group. And so... I, I, I've got to say I've not looked at it closely enough to decide tactically can they players play in Greg's style but I don't think he's going to change he's he's adamant that this is a style this is the way that Greg Berhalter plays I, I think 
and I love Greg. He's a great guy. Great we, guy we have yeah. great time. We on, but I think there's a touch of ego in this as well. I don't, I don't like coaches that stick to systems. But he's only just got the job. Exactly. So, so it's it might hard change. for yeah. him to say, I'm going to come in and immediately, like Warren said, you go in there and you immediately change the way you play after that. It's basically how you got the job. Like, I'm I'm sure, I mean, it took him, what did it take him? 14 months to name a coach? Yeah. Like, I'm sure he was involved in like a number of like PowerPoint <laughs> presentations where he's going to explain to like yeah. Galati and all the other guys. Of course. And suddenly he's going to go in and say, oh, it's not change working. It. I'm going to change can't, it. Can't, can't change it. Can now. you? Can't change it now. No. Can't change it now. But I, I think modern coaches have to be flexible. You do. Especially when they're handed players, especially when they're handed not the best players. Last question. Daniel asks uh, for your thoughts on the lack of defensive depth, such as uh, Manjikar James uh, not making the Canadian squad and only carrying three center backs. They just don't have enough quality. It's the weakest position. And when it comes to depth by a country mile for Canada, it's not even close. Uh, Mandrake James, I think has played maybe four games in European football this season. So the one thing I'll say about this, and it's very important. We didn't talk about in the Canada, the, the Canada preview earlier, the, the players are playing consistent minutes for their clubs, the ones that John's got here. And so that's what he's done. And I know that Miller's not played a lot for Orlando, but I'm talking about the genuine players who are going to compete for regular minutes in MLS, in Canada. I've played at regular minutes in Europe, regular minutes in MLS. And so I, I, I don't think he wanted to go out there and get a player who's not played a lot of minutes, like a David Edgar, for example. Yeah. You know, he hasn't played enough for him in his in, in that level. So... Look, it's an it's a concern, but I think as we'll find out that they're looking at other players like Atiba to play there, and they believe it's a you know the four or five game tournament maybe uh, yeah. that they'll be okay. Yeah, he wants the best players in the squad, and I'm I'm totally in agreement with that. You know, you get your best players there, and you 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 try and work with that group and and make them better. And you're right, there's just not enough quality centre backs. It's there's a guy in London though that I would be camping outside oh, yeah. his house go every single day. Tamori yeah. played for Derby last yeah. season, yeah. Chelsea player. Yeah. If you're listening in London right now, please. you know where Tamori lives. Can please. you go to Canada underneath his bedroom door every day? That'd be amazing. Every Canadian in London, find out where he lives. Go find out where he lives and just to go kind of deliver anything you want. We can go, we can give him a Tim's run. You know, whenever any of us are going over Whatever there, just take, just take Tim's run and just go, go give it to Tamori. He's the key, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, if that oh, guy decides to play for it's Canada, the dream, oh, you look at the yeah. whole thing and you're like, it's there, you know? I've not gone this far yet, but if Tamori declares for Canada, they're making 2022. Oh, right, that's go. big. Oh, let's send him that clip and that should right there. <laughs> He's in. He's yeah. in. There you go. Uh, yeah, let's hope. Uh, but anyway, that concludes the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Continue to rate and review and please let us know on all social media platforms. Our review of the week comes from Jeffrey P who says, just a terrific podcast. Love the snark and adore Stephen's stories. Highly recommended. We will continue to be snarky for you, sir. Make sure you rate and review, as I said. And Stephen will continue to give his stories every single week. That's it for this week. We'll be back on the 17th to chat about Canada versus Martinique in the Gold Cup. And of course, Canada versus New Zealand in the Women's World Cup. Thanks again to Dylan, to Clay, everyone involved. And thank you for listening to a football